0: Good morning. If you would take your um, Bibles, go ahead and turn in them to 1 Kings 10. We're going to start in 1 Kings 11 in a few minutes, and uh, we'll start back with a little bit of a review. Uh, talking to Brent this past Wednesday, he had said maybe I could go back over the Queen of Sheba visit a little bit and bring out some things. I said I think I had the sermon on that a few. Years ago, turns out I hadn't, but I had a had a lot of thoughts about it. So um, maybe that maybe these will be beneficial to us. We'll just read a few verses here. It says, "Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart." So Solomon answered her all all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, and the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the the service of his waiters, their apparel, his cupbearers, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, "'It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom.'" Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity, and precious stones. There never again came such abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Also the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, Ophir, <clears throat> brought great quantities of alig wood and precious stones from offer, and the king made steps of the Almag wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also harps and stringed instruments for singers. There never again came such alig wood, nor has the like been seen to this day. Now, King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given her, according. the royal generosity. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. Seems kind of the verse 11 and 12, I don't know, we can say they're out of place, but they're kind of a breakup in that story of the Queen of Sheba. But we'll look at 1 through 10. And then verse 13, I want us to notice some things about her. And this would make a really great sermon. So I'm glad you brought that up to me. Something about the Queen of Sheba that we look at. She heard and she came to inquire about what she'd heard. We're going to draw some stuff out of this in a minute. The trip, I don't know if we have thought about this before, about 1,700 miles. It would be like you setting out with a group of people under you on camels or donkeys or something like that with a bunch of riches and traveling all the way to Salt Lake City, Utah. How long would it take you to get there with all of that? Some people have said it probably took her about 75 days or so to go and inquire about what Solomon knew. What, what is he like? What is his kingdom like? This is where she was probably from. Down in this area of Yemen, um, there's a great spice trade that goes on down there in, in antiquity. Um, things like frankincense, myrrh, and all of that. It's part, part of the Silk Road uh, or the spice road, as it were, down there with large amounts of trading going on. Um, she would have a lot of people with her. Think about that. If you're, Later it talks about her giving Solomon this great amount of gold, right? She's carrying that with her. And spices are very valuable as well. Just the spices that Jesus, that Jesus received at his death from Nicodemus would have been worth about $100,000 in the first century about 75 pounds or so. So how much did she have? We don't know. But you go along these roads, there's robbers and all kinds of things, people ready to murder you for what you have. So she'd have a large amount of people with her making this trip all the way up to, to uh, Jerusalem. So it'd be a great, it says she had a great retinue, it means just a great number of people with her that were under her. Also says when when she Sees the reality. Basically, when she goes up there and she sees everything that really is with Solomon. She's heard his wisdom, she's seen his house, she's seen the Lord's house, she's seen the sacrifices he makes, what he wears, what his attendants wear, and what they do, and all this stuff. What does she say? She says, Half was not told to me. It's just an incredible thing that she she sees there. She gave the ultimate glory. For Solomon, to who? Gave it to God. Gave it to God, his God. Your God has set you on there, and he is great for doing this. He has sought it to supply his people with someone of such stature and wisdom to rule them, that he must love them so. So she, and it specifically mentions what she saw in him, in, in in the things that were going on. In his, um, verse 9, in his kingdom, Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. So he's, he has a purpose for being on the throne. She realizes that the great things that that a ruler can do is to promote justice and to promote righteousness, which he was doing, at least at this point in his in his career, if you will. How long was Solomon King? Forty years. So how, how far is he into his his uh, rule over Israel at this point? Talked about it a little bit last class. He's through with his building projects, which the, the house of the Lord took seven years. Then he started to work on his own house, which took 13 years, so we're at least 20 years into this, probably somewhere between 20 and 25 years before she comes to him. She gave a large gift to Solomon as well. I mentioned that. She, she uh, had all this stuff with her on the road, about 9,000 pounds of gold. Think about that. I, don't even, I didn't figure how much that was. It's uh, somewhere in the billion dollar, one and a half billion dollar range, something like that. But also spices. And gemstones, all these things would have had their own value, which would have been incredible. Now, as far as all of this stuff, and this is pretty much all we have. You can go to the the alternate verse over in the Chronicles account. It says almost verbatim, the same exact stuff. It says, the queen of the south, which is where she's from as well, will rise up with this generation. This is what Jesus is saying to those that don't want to hear what he's saying. will rise up with this generation at the judgment. And they will condemn it, and she will condemn it, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So she came and did all of that. Now, how does she speak to us today? Jesus said she should speak to you today, because she came and she, she, she heard about something, about Solomon, something great, and she takes this massive trip, to go and find out about it spends time there what can we learn about it well one thing i don't want to go too far that's the next slide there's a shadow here of in this trip when we see, come into matthew chapter 2 is there another trip of people from the east that bring gifts of gold and spices and it's a long trip and they come to see the king of israel absolutely the wise men come and do that how many do they have with them we're not sure. It says there's three gifts. Some people say three wise men. I would put forth to you, there would have probably been dozens of people with them because you don't go through the desert, as I've already said, with valuable spices and gold with just three dudes. That would be the height of dumbness. So they're going to come with a great retinue themselves. There's evidence of that too. In the the text in Matthew chapter two, it says all Jerusalem was in an uproar over the, the wise men coming. You don't get in an uproar over three guys. You get an upper over a great number of people coming than one it was born King of the Jews. So we have that thing. Their gifts are the same. Both came great distances. Those, and it's those who aren't Jews, right, coming to inquire about the greatness of the God of the Jews. That's an echo that we're living in. We're not Jews, and yet we're here to learn about the greatness of the God of the Jews, who's now the God of Jews. Who is really the God of everything. Now, when we finally see God in eternity, will we have a similar experience to the Queen of Sheba? Will we have no breath left in us? Probably. When we go to the other side of eternity and we see God, and what He is like. When we see His real house, we talked about the the, the house of God in Jerusalem and how that it was a type and a shadow of what really is Hebrews 8 and 9 tell us. Are we going to have any breath left in us about what we see? What was on this earth is pretty breathtaking, we would admit. What about when we see God's attendance, when we see God's attire? How about when we see God's wisdom? Are we going to have any breath left in us? No, we're going to be in the presence of the one who created all, sustained all, Looking out at the universe and the vastness of it, that we can't even, we're just beginning to barely scratch the surface on how it all works. And he knows how it all works because he designed it and he keeps it. Our breath's going to be taken away. Right. Exactly. Freddie's saying that what she saw was the physical beauty. We're going to see the spiritual things. We're going to see really what behind those, all of that that it's, I guess you would say, sort of based on. We'll come to more of a, a real uh, knowledge of all of those things. We get into the presence of God, I'm sure, that we're going to say something like, less than 1% was told to me about the greatness of God. So she is our type in, in that way. Her example, of course, will be condemning of us if we don't recognize the greatness of Jesus. That's what Jesus said. We better recognize his greatness. How often, thinking along those lines, about she's going to rise up with this generation and condemn it because she came to hear the greatness of Solomon yet yet greater than Solomon is here. Now, how often, when, you, when you're faced with some, a spiritual endeavor versus a worldly endeavor, how often do we choose other things? Guilty. I need to do better. How often do we put prayer, worship, learning about Jesus on the back burner? Just keep them warm, right? I'll come back to them later. And she's going to rise up and condemn me if I don't change that. And she'll condemn you if you are doing the same things. She went back to Sheba. She didn't stay there forever. There's all kind of wild stories. She, she's one of the few things from the, from the Bible that's included in, in, in Islam, Christianity, and uh, the Israelite religion. Right, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, interesting thought, so I'm sure there's a lot of stuff out there that we're not, we don't see, but we'll see them, we'll, we'll understand them at some point, um, maybe in the hereafter. But we do know she went back to, back to Sheba, she went back to where she's come from, what did she do? Did she tell others about the greatness of Solomon? Well, I mean, she learned about Solomon that way because people telling her about his greatness, so somebody told her about those things. Did she make Solomon a part of her life somehow? Uh, and I don't mean the way that the, the, the texts of Islam talk about and wild things you hear about them having a child together or something like that. Those things have no basis in reality. But maybe somehow through trade, if you, if you knew about Solomon and you were ruling a kingdom somewhere and you knew about his wisdom, would you not make him some sort of a de facto advisor to you and send him hard questions again? Maybe so. Do we do that with Jesus? Do we make Jesus part of our life? When there's difficult things in our life, do we go to him in prayer? Do we, do we go to, to the scriptures for answers? Those are all questions that, that we need to ask ourselves because if we don't do those things, she'll rise up in the judgment alongside us and she'll condemn us. So any questions or points about the Queen of Sheba? just wanted to bring those points out. Thank you for your, your comments. Let's move on with today's topic, which is 1 Kings 11, this is the end of Solomon's reign, and we go down this road with, with Solomon, and it's, you know, he starts out with such promise, and he's building the house of God, he's, he's a king of peace, he's got such wisdom that, that's e- exemplified in that, that decision about whose child is this. And um, so his fame goes out. People fear Solomon, but he's got this downfall of wanting to uh, appeal to wives, and the opposite sex, you might say. It tells us, verse 1, but King Solomon loved many foreign women. We've already been told about one. It's, it's the uh, Pharaoh's daughter. And this goes on to say, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. So he loves many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter, which he's already told us that he married her. And it says, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. That's just hard to imagine, isn't it? I'm just going to tell you now, I would have trouble if I sat down with pen and paper naming all the people that I know that I knew their names. I'm not talking about faces. I can remember faces, but being able to draw a name. I have trouble here, right? Some of you, I don't know very well because we're relatively new. We came during COVID and everybody's wearing a mask. So you only know what their eyes look like. And they take off the mask and you're like, whoa, that's so different. But I just, and we're just about 250 people. I don't know that I can name a thousand people that I knew. He's married or they're his concubines. The closest relationship you're supposed to get on this earth, a thousand. And it's just, it's just uh, amazing. Certainly someone with the wisdom of God could, could sit down and say, maybe this is not such a good idea after maybe you've exceeded the number that your father had, which was in the range of six to eight, somewhere in there. I can't remember how many David had. It was a, at least six. But it possibly speaks to Solomon's view of his, his own power in some way. You know, he's, he's, uh, he needs to have his hand in all these other nations, right? Uh, now, it says in verse 2, uh, the end of verse 2, Solomon clung to these in love. We often make something out of that, like there was some, uh, it just, he really loved every one of them there's a thousand it's that's not really I don't know how how possible it is to think about Solomon loving a thousand women in the way that we conjure up the love of a wife or the love of a husband that's going to be very difficult and sure enough this word uh is a is a very broad ranging word it's a very broad word um has a semantic range, I guess you'd say, is how they, how they word it. The, the, the Hebrew word is Ahab, which I find interesting, based on King Ahab, but the word Ahab means love, but it's got this, this, this is just what Brown Driver Briggs says about that word. It's affection, both pure and impure, divine and human, human love to human object, as opposed to hate. It can be of a love to a son, a mother-in-law, a man's love to a woman or a wife, but also of carnal desire, of loving a paramour. Now, paramour, I didn't know what that was, so I had to look up paramour. And it's bad to have to look up a definition of something that's in the definition. But it basically means some, an, another partner that you have an illicit relationship with. Maybe that's an older word, and a lot of you know it, and I don't, so I may feel, need to feel dumb about that. A woman's love to a man... Uh, of love of a slave to a master, of an inferior to a superior, love to a neighbor, uh, love to a stranger, love of a friend to a friend. So it has this range, right? And I don't know, there's this, there's this thing in me that looks at this and says it's, it's more this carnal desire that he has for all of these different uh, wives and concubines. So I don't know anybody thinks about that. I know we we look at love as this one word, but the Hebrew word that's used here is just so diverse that it's hard to say exactly how he felt about these. Anybody have any thoughts? Nobody wants to tackle that question, I think. (laughs) All right, well, well, we'll leave it there. We can say that certainly... Somebody mentioned Deuteronomy 17 last time, and I think that it would, it would be, a, be an interesting exercise to look at the things that's listed there that a king should and shouldn't do, and then hold up Solomon. He starts off very well, but hold up his life and what he does and how he just goes against all these directives that a king is supposed to meet up with that he doesn't do. So We're told his wife shifts his allegiance, right? Um, chapter 11 Verse 4 says, For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill. Uh, that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrifice to their gods. So at the beginning of your reign, you're building the temple of the Lord, pouring all that time over seven years into that. Now towards the end of your life, you're building a high place for it was either Milcom or Chemosh on the Mount of Olives. That's the hill east of Jerusalem. How amazing. A turnaround that is. To And, and if, you, if you let these people, certain people that want to, to worship other things besides Jehovah that closely into your life and think that you're going to take fire into your bosom and not be burned, that's just a mistake. You're not going to 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 do that. There's a lot of ways we can look at this and make application to our life that we just don't have time for today. It tells us that they turned his heart away to things that you would think Solomon's beginning of his life and his father David, never. You would think going into Solomon there's no possible, possible way that Solomon is going to ever worship any of these gods. Let's just look at a few of them. Uh, it tells, talks about his wives, of course, Egypt, Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, the Sidonians, and then the Hittites. So he's marrying all around. And if there's a thousand, there's probably other places that the scriptures just don't tell us about. I, I, I don't think we're looking at he got you know, 200 wives or 150 wives from each one of these places. There's probably other places as well. But the Ammonites says they worshipped Molech, and he started worshipping Molech. This is also generally guarded as the same as the the idol Milcom. So they're just two different variations of the of the same name. I can't imagine worshiping this way. I can't imagine as a human being that even didn't know about the about God worshiping in the way that they would worship. He was used for child sacrifice. So to appease the anger of this particular god, the Ammonites would allow their children to be burned. And you can see this picture, this is from like 1897 that somebody drew, their depiction of what um, Molech was. So basically however it looked, the belly of this idol, it was made of brass or bronze, and it would be a place for a fire to be put, we might say like a potbelly stove. And it would heat up these outstretched arms Maybe held close. We're not really, we don't really know the particulars of all of that. But you can imagine how hot that would get. Uh, you that have, any of you that have wood-burning stoves can know how hot the metal gets on that. And so these priests of Molech would beat their drums very loudly so that when the father placed his baby in the arms of the Molech god, they couldn't hear the screams and the cries. Just an abomination, and in the scriptures call worship of any of these an abomination so many times. Now, child sacrifice is still practiced today. You can see it I mean, you can see it on the news, right? You can see people in certain areas of the world sending children into bomb places. That's one way. The biggest way, and I don't know how many millions are murdered every year in, in the abortion industry it's a, it's a problem that is unfathomable so we still do it we do it on the premise that we want to keep our freedom right for those people who want, want, want to keep their freedom and not be tied down by the love of a child and things like that yes sir They don't want them. It's a, it's a religion of self, a religion of selfishness, absolutely. So one of the commentators I'd read about who Moloch was, Molech, Moloch, Milcom, Topheth is another name for him. Topheth is Milcom, which was made of brass, and they heated him from his lower parts and his hands being stretched out and made hot. They put the child between his hands, and um, it was burnt when it vehemently cried out but the priest beat a drum that the father might not hear the voice of his son and his heart might not be moved." We see, you know, this mentioned burning children in the fire to Molech in multiple places in the scripture. Somewhere they made, it's put specifically, they made their children pass through the fire, which is this idea of, we don't know a lot about these things, them making them pass through a fiery place but come through alive. just very strange. I don't know if we'll ever understand all of these things, but they're they're hard to study. It says he worshipped the goddess of the or the goddess of the Sidonians, Ashtoreth. Uh, also has other names, Ashira. You see Ashira poles and that type of thing throughout the Judges. And Astarte is another name for this particular goddess or idol. Um, she's it would be considered the female counterpart of Baal, and Baal is a is a god that's supposed to bring forth the water to make sure your crops are okay, but you worshipped Baal by sex, right? And so this was the female counterpart of it. With Baal, men would go and worship to a priestess of Baal. This woman would go and worship to a priest of Baal, and have relations with that priest. I guess to bring the rain. I couldn't find out about all of that, but she was considered a fertility idol. So. Also, an abomination, right? Also mentions Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, the testable god of the Moabites, I believe it says. Um, he was a military idol. You can see how that this would appeal to a king, right? So human sacrifice of conquered enemies is what they practiced. And this is a few places in, in history that writings have been discovered um, On on stone, where that the enemies of a certain place that were conquered were all burned or sacrificed to the god Chemosh of the Moabites. Um, Now, in back in the book of, of Judges, this is what is said about Chemosh, and this is Jephthah saying this in in the Judges. Jephthah's. Looking and he's talking to he's talking to the Ammonites here actually so there was some overlap of Kemosh with Moabites and Ammonites, and he's recalling the time when Israel came out of Egypt and they're passing through their land right, and uh, he says, "Do you not possess what Chemosh your God gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God has driven out before us, we will possess it." So he's he's kind of making a comparison to things so that they can understand. This is one of the few um, images of. Chemosh. at least they think that's Chemosh, you can see the spear in his hand. So these are the gods that Solomon set up to worship. All around Israel, on the high places, and in a high place just across the valley from the house of God on the Mount of Olives, a high place there as well. Well, there's consequences to that. Anybody have any thoughts on these particular gods in worshiping this way? Yes. Just on people he uses Solomon as illustration example. of God. But even Solomon was Yeah, they they got that that it, it. That example of Solomon was given to them as an example to, don't do what you're doing. You need to put away these foreign wives among you. This would be during the days of Nehemiah, and I think um, later, I uh, can't think of the name of the other prophet, uh, Malachi as well, that mentions all of these types of things about them taking on foreign women and having to put them away because it's going to lead their heart away again. And, after all, you just have gotten back from captivity. <laughs> not a good time for, for this, if there, if there is ever a time there's not. So he so has some consequences for this. Um, God has, well, you've got to remember, this is not just uh, some simple thing. God has appeared to Solomon how many times already? He's already appeared to him twice. Now you would think, God has come and talked to me. And he's told me certain things, Said he's going to be with me. He's given me gifts, and then gifts above the gifts that he promised me. And he tells me, you need to make sure that you're only worshiping me. Now, if you would just think that that would be enough, say, I'm just going to worship Jehovah then. (laughs) And I'm not going to seek after these other gods, but it wasn't. So he appeared to him twice in 1 Kings 3 and then again in the same way he appeared to him at the beginning in 1 Kings chapter 9. Now, God wore, he had warned Solomon about the very thing he did over in chapter 9. 1 Kings chapter 9, if you'll turn back there, we'll read it, verses 5 through 9. It says, "...then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, "...you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel." But if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house which I have consecrated for not my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it, will be astonished and will hiss and say, why has the Lord done this to, his, to this land, to this house? Then they will answer, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. So he's warned about all of this stuff that he's doing directly from God. And he's told them, God's going to remove part of the kingdom because you've done that. I've already warned you about it. with we'll that a couple of chapters back, but earlier in your life. And some peace began to go away. That's the rest of this chapter 11, if you want to turn back with me. That's the rest of chapter 11, is how peace began to depart. Starting here in chapter 11 and verse, verse 13 says, However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. I want to back up a little bit because I feel like I've skipped over a little bit here. Verse 11. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. For the sake of your father, David, I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. But I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So it's at this point that some of the peace began to go away, starting in, we're going to read about it in verse 14. Enemies rise up against Solomon. Remember, his was a reign of peace, By and large, but towards the end, it started going away. A person named Hadad the Edomite in verse 14 is risen up. It says, now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. And it goes and tells us about the history of Hadad and maybe why he would have just hated the kingdom of Israel because of David. Uh, Verse 11 says, he was a descendant of the king in Edom, For it happened when David was in Edom that Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain and after he had killed every male in Edom. Because for six months Joab remained there with all Israel until he had cut down every male in Edom, that Hadad fled to go to Egypt, he and certain Edomites, his father's servants with him. Hadad was still a little child. Then they arose from Midian and came to Paran, and they took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house and portioned food for him and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him his wife, uh, the, gave him as wife the sister of his own wife, that is, the sister of Queen Tepenes. Then the sister of Tepenes bore him Janubath, his son, whom Tepenes weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Janubath was in Pharaoh's household amongst the sons of Pharaoh. So when Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers, that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart that I may go to my own country. Then Pharaoh said to him, But what have you lacked with me? Then suddenly you seek to go to your own country. So he answered, Nothing, but do let me go anyway. So we're not told exactly what he does. We're just given his backstory. His origin story, you might say, and we don't know exactly how he was opposing Solomon in his days, but he goes back to the beginning of his reign. Maybe there's this, this revamping of the Edomite kingdom under Hadad, and he's going to really make it his business to try to bring Solomon down later in his life. But of course, that was from the hand of God, that the scriptures sort of speak to also talks about Rezan of Zobah. That's the longest story in 14 through 22. This is just three verses, 23 through 25. It says, and God raised up another adversary against him. Rezan, the son of Eliada, who had fled from his lord, had a Dezer king of Zobah. So he gathered men to him and became captain over a band of raiders. When David killed those of Zobah, and they went to Damascus, and dwelt there, and reigned in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, besides the trouble that Hadad caused. And he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. So this guy moves up to the north, to Syria, and is constantly leading raids against them. We're also told about Jeroboam, son of Nebat. This one goes on for a long time, verse 26 through 40. Jeroboam, um, just to give you a Quick rundown of him, he was just a regular guy. He was a of the tribe of Joseph, of the tribe of um, Ephraim, right? So there was this hole in the wall in Jerusalem, city of David, and Solomon sought to to repair it. So he gets the men of of Joseph's tribes to do it. Well, Jeroboam is a pretty good worker, and he puts him over all of these men as they were repairing this wall. Well, when he's going home from the repair of the wall he meets someone named Ahijah the Shilonite, who's a, a, a prophet of God. Ahijah tears his cloak that he's wearing into, into 12, uh, 12 pieces, and he gives 10 of them to Jeroboam and tells him, you're going to be over 10 of the tribes, over Israel. And Jeroboam would be made king over Israel, and That he's tearing some of them away from Solomon. But the house of David was going to retain one tribe and it will, and I will afflict the descendants of David because of this. Verse 39, I wanted to move forward and handle this in the verse 38. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments, as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the descendants of David because of this. Then he says, but not forever. So, think about those things. And then it says um, Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. And so that brings, when Solomon dies, Rehoboam comes to the throne. Jeroboam, we'll see about that in maybe the next class. This will be the last class on the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom comes to an end, and the, the, the kingdom is divided. And then see something in this, verse 39. When it says, I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. <laughs> that is all the way up till Jesus. He quits afflicting them in that way when Jesus comes. Because he is the seed of David, one of the sons of David that comes to the throne eternally. And all the world is brought back into to his kingdom at that point. Those who, of us who want to be a part of it. Is there any questions about this final part? Our next class is just going to be a review of the United Kingdom. So y'all read all of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and 1 Kings in preparation for that. Just kidding. Just kind of be thinking about all that. Thank you very much.